So we are going to be looking at goodness today. And so if you'd please rise as we read Galatians 5, 22 through 23. Um, and I read in Jesus' name. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Let us pray. Father, as we come now to study your word, to see what it means for our lives, Lord, to see what goodness looks like, I pray that you would bless us and that you would guide us. Lord, that we might walk in goodness, that we might cultivate goodness as we walk in your spirit, as we walk with your spirit. Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So, goodness. Huh? For goodness sake. Today we're going to be talking for goodness sake. Yes. Um, For goodness sake, Joe, you should just get going. (laughs) So the difficulty with goodness is that goodness is goodness. There really isn't a different way to translate this. Sometimes it's kind of nice because it's like, well, this word means these things. And the word for goodness means goodness. <laughs> and so it's like, okay, what are we talking about here? What does this mean? Because we take goodness for granted, don't we? Like how many of you have actually ever sat down and asked the question, so when I talk about something being good, what do I mean? Like we just, I don't know, I, I don't, I haven't. I don't think about it that often. I had to this week. Well, I, actually, goodness is one that's been kind of scaring me because I didn't know what it meant. And, you know, I know what patience means. I don't have it, but I know what it means. I, I know what um, self-control means. I struggle with it, but I know what it means. What does goodness mean? And so goodness is something that's good. What? Not bad. There we go. Janet knows what it means. (laughs) That was good. That's yeah, and that so that Hebrew idea of good means that it does what it's supposed to do. And so when God created um, the trees and he says, Be fruitful, you know, and produce seed, what did they do? They produced seed. They worked. It works. That's good. You know, and that's what, that's what goodness is. It's, it's that which works, but it's not just that which works because it actually exists at a cultural level. It exists at a moral level, you know, because there's a moral goodness too. Does this work in the moral realm? And so this idea of goodness is, it is, it is that which works. It is that which satisfies. It is that which we're actually seeking. So is wealth good? Well, it depends. Is a marriage good? Well, it depends. Is um, a car good? Well, at least for the first 400,000 miles or whatever. No, it depends until the warranty goes. Then it's not as good. It depends. It depends on what you're using it for because that's the distinction. Is this thing 
doing what, it's, what I'm aiming for? Is this thing doing what I got it for? I could buy a car and have it not run and actually still have it be good. If I was getting it to have a showpiece in a museum, then it's good because it's doing what it's supposed to be doing. If I bought that car to drive around, it's not good. And so can I be seeking to become rich and have that be good? Yeah, as long as the goal for that money was a godly goal. If I want money so that I can give it away, you know, we hear these stories about like R.J. Letourneau. You know, R.J. Letourneau was the guy who invented the, I don't know if he invented, but he kind of developed the caterpillar. And he developed big earth-moving machines. And he was rich. And you know what he did with that money? Missions. So he would send these machines all around the world. He would send the machines. He'd load them into planes, take them apart, load them into planes, they'd bring them out to build airways, airstrips, so that the mission aviation could bring planes in so, th- so that the missionaries could go out to these peoples. And he became rich. Was his money good? Yeah, because he used it for the glory of God instead of just for the satisfaction of self. Is poverty good? You know what? If that poverty leads me to a deeper relationship with Christ, it's good. If it leads me to be bitter against the bourgeois, it's not good. I actually said that right. It's not the bourgeois. Um, <laughs> it's bourgeois. That's, that's the only French I know. Um, it's just sweet la bum. I'm the bomb. I know that in French too. I'm the, I'm the bum. No, I'm the bomb. But then it's good. And so that's the idea of good. Is it doing what, it want, what I want it to do? And so goodness looks deeper because it looks at the purpose and ask the question, is this satisfying that purpose? Is my job good or bad? I don't know. It depends on why you're working it. So what's your goal? Is this thing good? And so how does the Holy Spirit create goodness? Like that's, that's the question here. How does he do that? Because that's what I've been trying to answer with all of these. Is like, okay, this is what it is. Okay, the, Holy, the fruit of the Spirit is goodness. It isn't how do I produce goodness in myself? Like if I try really hard... How do I produce goodness? No, no, no. We already know how to produce goodness. We walk with the Spirit. As we're walking in relationship to the Holy Spirit, He will produce these things in us. As one of our speakers at the men's event said, abide in Christ. As If you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. Jesus was, that was from Jesus in John 15, I believe. Um, I don't have, I'm not good at numbers. But I believe that's where it is. If you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. So how do we bear fruit? How do we bear goodness? It's by, huh? 15.5. I was right. It was John 15. Just not precise. Um, How do we do it? We abide in Christ. We walk with the Spirit. That's how this is produced in us. That's that's where it comes from. What does that look like? How do I know what goodness is and what goodness isn't? This is the answer to our question. Because I'm actually going to change my sermon. (laughs) Because I woke up this morning um, at 5.30 and my sermon was in my head. And I had a different point. And I was like, oh, that's funny. So let's turn to Proverbs 14.12. I actually wrote it on the bulletin that was up here. Then someone stole it. (laughs) They all look alike. alike. That's true. Proverbs 14.12. 
There, and I read in Jesus' name, this is on 682 in your Black Pew Bible. Uh, Proverbs 14, 12. There is a way that seems right to a man, but in its end, but its end is the way to death. This is not good. This is bad. <laughs> there is a way that seems right to a man. What is our culture looking for? Our culture is looking for something that works. That's one of the things, like that's, that's a pragmatic argument. How many of you ever heard of pragmatism? The um, philosophy, pragmatism. Pragmatism is saying if it works, it's good. And so that's, that's actually what, I think it's Adams, um, was the, the philosopher that helped develop that. I read his book and I'm forgetting his name, whatever. But that, that's the idea of pragmatism. If it works, if it does what it's supposed to do, that is our best definition of good. The problem is, we actually, as human beings, can't really see if things do what they're supposed to do. Because one, we don't always know our goals. And two, we don't know the long-term fruit. Because something might work. I could, I could go, and go on Craigslist and I could buy a car that's running. And when I buy that car that's running at that moment, it's good. But then on my way home, it breaks. Was that a good buy? It no longer worked. No, it wasn't a good buy. But at the time that I did it, it was good. But then that goodness stopped. Because it stopped running. It stopped working. And so that's a problem with pragmatism. Pragmatism doesn't work because we can't see the future. We can't see how this properly plays out. If I get, <laughs> not that this ever happens, um, if my kids are disobeying me, <laughs> never, it never happens, and I yell at them to get them to stop disobeying me, is that good? It depends. Okay, so if, I, if they're running out in the street in disobedience and then I yell at them and get them to stop, then I have time to explain to them why they shouldn't. But, yes, so there is that. So, are there times when that's not good? Yes. If I'm teaching my children that the way that you stop things or get people to do what you want them to do is by yelling at them and showing anger, then that's not good. And so this, this idea of goodness, I, I, if I'm only looking at this spot and this iteration of it, I can proclaim if it's good or not according to pragmatism. But if I'm looking at the continued repeating pattern of that, I can no longer say it's good. Because now I'm teaching them, all you have to do is yell loud enough and people will do what you want. You know, Michelle gets to deal with this. <laughs> so the students try to get her to do what she wants by yelling at her. Has their parents yelling at them been good? No. It might have been efficient, but it wasn't good because it did not accomplish what the parents desired it to accomplish, which is obedient children. I don't know any parent that actually wants disobedient children, at least towards them. <laughs> and so these are the questions. There's a way that seems right to the man. Our culture says, hey, you want happiness? Here's how you get it. What does our culture currently say? You want recognition? What do you have to do? Well, in all honesty, our culture is currently saying if you want to be special, you want to be someone, you have to be LGBT. We'll just keep going. Q-R-S-T-U-V. Um, you know, uh, 
we make a joke out of it, but that's really what our culture is saying right now. You want to be special, you have to be some other gender. You want to be special, you need to become trans. You want to be special, you need to become famous. You need to be special. You want to be special, you have to become these things. The question is, does it really work? How many of these, um, these, in these videos are coming out that people have gotten that gender reassignment surgery and then they have to re-reassign themselves. I don't even know how to say it. Transreversal. Okay, there is a phrase. That's good. Um, now I know it. Did it work? No. Is it working? No. Our state has just passed a law that said that we are a sanctuary state for transsexual um, surgical procedures. And it's like, what is this? Is this going to be good? No. People are going to say, Joe, you're getting into politics. But it's like, no. Politics has stepped into morality. They're in my world. I'm not in theirs. They should get out. They're the ones that are where they're not supposed to be. They're supposed to be talking about taxes. Because what they're doing is not good. It's not going to benefit. It's not going to help. These surgeries don't help people. You know that the suicide rate of people who have had the gender reassignment surgery is the exact same as those who haven't, if not higher? Is it working? No. If it was working, it'd be lower. The depression rate, it's higher. If it was working, it'd be lower. It's not working. It doesn't do what it's supposed to do. It's not good. Now, this is reality. This is what's crazy about it. It's not good. There's a way that seems right to a man. Our culture is wrong. Our culture is bad. Why? Because what our culture is telling people to do to find happiness, to find satisfaction, to find joy, to find peace, to find safety, to find all of these things that people are really looking for. The way that our culture is telling them to do it is wrong. It's bad. It's not working. You want to have peace? Become rich. Oh, I forgot about inflation. You want to have power? Become a politician. Oh, but people own them too. Not all of them, granted. Sure, great. But you know, these are realities. You want purity? Be woke. Oh, but then you get a purity struggle too. And nobody's ever pure enough. How many people who are in the current cultural milieu milieu situation? (laughs) We'll just use a different word. How many people in the current cultural situation are still being canceled? Because nobody's good enough. (coughs) Nobody's good enough. Milieu, that's the word. (laughs) I'll get it sooner or later. This is the reality. It's not working. It's not good. There is a way that seems right to a man. But in its end... It's death. It's bad. This is the reality. And I don't, I don't care if it's the homosexual movement or it's you know, out committing adultery or fornication. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Those things aren't going to bring happiness. It doesn't matter the means by which you aim at it. It's not going to bring happiness because, unless your goal is Christ. And if your goal is Christ... You can't get to Christ. You can't draw near to Christ through sin. We draw near to Christ through repentance, through confession, through submission. 
Those are the things by which we draw near to Christ. So these things, they can't make you happy. Getting that next raise, getting that next promotion, it can't do it. It doesn't have the power to satisfy your soul because nothing in this world has the power to satisfy your soul. Period. Period. This is reality. That's why we stand different. That's why we look deeper. John 3, 5 through 8. Found on page 1,129 in your Black Pew Bible. So where do we look? What do we do as Christians? What does this look like in our lives? John 3, 5 through 8. Speaking to Nicodemus. I'm just going to read the whole paragraph. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? How can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. So one of the realities of goodness is that the world will not understand why you do what you do. They will look at your life and say, this doesn't make sense. I can't figure it out. You will be, if you are walking in goodness, if the Holy Spirit is producing goodness, things that actually work in your life, it's not going to make sense to the world. It will be like the wind. Because if you are walking with the Spirit, he's going to call you to go there and the world's going to look at it and say, you're sacrificing your career. Like, well, but I'm not living for my career. You're going to go there and they're going to say, you're sacrificing your money. Well, I'm not living for money. You're going to do things that people aren't going to understand. It's going to look weird. It's going to look peculiar. This is how God makes us a peculiar people. Not just by changing our vocabulary. We shouldn't really do that anyways. Unless it's getting rid of filthy, you know, words. We can change those, but... What does it look like? It looks like the wind. How many of you know where the wind has been? How do you know where the wind is going? Where is the wind's aim? You can't answer those questions. So also we can't 100%, we can't answer, even we, we can't answer those questions. I don't know where my path is going to lead me as a pastor. I don't know what it's going to look like tomorrow or 100 days from now. I don't know. I don't know if Mark's going to be up here preaching instead of me. The Holy Spirit could do that. Right, Mark? He could. You never know. We'll see. We'll see. That's, if it comes, comes to being 100 days, you'll know that that was a prophecy. Um, I don't think it's a prophecy, but it's possible. You never know. We don't know. What do we know about the Holy Spirit? That he is working to get us pointed to Christ. 
to get us to be walking with Jesus. That's what he's going for. He wants us to reveal God into this world. And so we know his ultimate goal. But how he's going to bring us there, that we don't know. That we don't know. We don't know how he's going to get us there. But the way that he does it is going to be good. And it's going to produce in us and through us that which he wants to produce. And he will change our desires. I should have put that one in there too. Um, Delight yourself in the Lord and he will fulfill the, or he will give you the desires of your heart. What does that mean? He's going to satisfy my passions. No, not your passions. He's going to make them godly. He's going to make your desires godly and then he's going to fulfill them. That's what that means. That's Psalm 37, I believe. I have it memorized, but again, I'm not good at numbers. In order to be born again, we have to die. Yep. And Right, we don't, right. And what does that death look like? That death looks like me submitting to God, me asking Christ to be my Lord, to asking him to be the center of my life. When, when these evangelists are saying, are you going to ask Jesus into your heart? What are they asking? That he would enter into my um, pericardia and live there. No, will you be the center of my life? That's what that means. Will you be my Lord? Will you run? My life? Will you be the point, the goal, the aim? And that's death. Because no longer, I'm no longer Lord. If I ask Jesus to be my Lord, who stops being my Lord? This guy. (laughs) If I ask him to be the center of my life, who ceases to be the center of my life? Me. That's death. Lord, come in. And I am crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. It's Christ who lives in me. He is now Lord. He is now heart. He is now center. He is now the point. He is now the purpose. He is now the end. He is now the goal. He is now everything. That's what that means. And that's what this is talking about too. And the world's going to look at it and say, I don't get it, but I want what, you want what you have. Because you know what the world wants? What the Christian who's walking in the Spirit has. They want joy. How many of you know pagans, ungodly people who are filled with joy? I don't know one. How many of you know ungodly people that are just filled with peace? I don't know one either. I don't know all these people. But that's what they're seeking. They're looking for joy. This whole LGBTQ stuff, this whole transsexual movement, what is it? It's a pursuit of joy. It could also be a pursuit of power, but that's self-control. Self-control is the ultimate power. We'll get to that when we get there. I'm not going to jump ahead. But that's what this is. They're not going to know, well, how is it that you die and you get that? How is it that you cease to be Lord and then you receive that which we want because that's what we're living our lives for? They won't get it. It's going to be like the wind. But as you're walking in the Spirit, You don't need to worry about them. Because you know what? They're wrong. What they're trying to do, it isn't working anyways. So why would I follow them? Why would I listen to a person who's wrong all the time? Why would I pursue that? 1 Peter 1, 13 through 19. This is our final point. And so I'm going to skip the last one. 1 Peter 1, 13 through 19. Found on page 1,293. 
We read in Jesus' name. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded. That's not somber, by the way. That's sober. Those are two different words, two very different ideas. It doesn't mean I have to be dour. I can be joyful and sober. I can't be joyful and somber. All right. Sorry, that was an aside. I'll come back. Being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be bought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children. Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. That's what our world is conformed to right now. They are conformed to the passions of their ignorance. Our world is ignorant. They actually don't know that what they're pursuing isn't good. They don't know that what they're living for isn't working. They don't see it. They think just the next thing. Just one more. Just this thing too, maybe. You know, maybe if I get the raise and the promotion. Maybe I get the girl and the car. Then I'll be satisfied. The car didn't satisfy. The girl didn't satisfy. Maybe I need to put them together. I need to get a girl riding in my car. No. I need to get a girl driving my car. I don't know. But it's not going to work. They don't know it. They don't get it. They're ignorant. We should pity the ignorant. Really should. Their lives are hollow. They're empty. They are pointless. And ultimately, they are worthless. Think about that. Their lives are worthless. How sad. Their souls are precious. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former self. But as he who called you is holy, you should also be holy in your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers. I don't care who taught you to do this. It doesn't make it right. Not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. So if I follow all the commands of God, then I've got purpose, then I've got hope, then I've got joy, then things work. No. Because I can follow the commands of God without being holy. Because where does holiness come from? Not me following the commands of God. Holiness comes from God. And because God makes me holy, because God has bought me, I am now holy. Therefore, I walk in his commands, not in order to become holy, but because he's already made me holy. He has set me aside. He has set me apart from the futile things, the things that don't work, and has called me to walk with him. As I'm walking with him, I'm going to fulfill his commands. I'm going to walk in obedience to my father. This is what he's done. He has set us apart. You were. Note the tenses there. Think about that for a moment. Verse 19, or uh, 18. Knowing that you were. Perfect tense. Something that's accomplished. For those of you who aren't grammar nerds, I'm sorry, by the way, but. You were ransomed. Perfect tense. Happened in the past has continued action. 
It's continuing to affect your life. This is what God is doing, and this is the purpose that he did it for. You were ransomed. You were bought. You are not your own. If you're a Christian trying to live your own life in your own way for your own purpose, you have competing lords in your life. One needs to die, and it's not Jesus. He already died for you. You were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like a lamb without blemish or spot. So then what does it mean to live in goodness? The world's not going to get it. Because like we talked about from Proverbs, their end leads to death. Here we're told they're ignorant. Why do they keep doing it? You guys ever ask that question? Why do they keep doing that? You know, they wake up on Sunday morning with a splitting hangover. Why do they keep doing that? They're ignorant. It doesn't satisfy. Why do they keep doing it? Fear. Yeah, fear. Why are they afraid of? They're, well, there's a lot of things they might be afraid of. <laughs> but that's not the only thing. They don't, they don't get it. They don't know. They're letting their emotions control them. They're letting their fear or their hopes or their, their desires, their maybes. We pity them. We proclaim the truth. But as we proclaim the truth, you know what's also just as important as the words that come out of our mouths? The lives that we live. Our actions. So then comes this question. Is your life good? Is your life doing what you want it to do? If it's not, what's the problem? It's not your job. It's not your pocketbook. It's Christ. When my life isn't good, you know what that tells me? I need more of Jesus in it. I need to walk closer with the Spirit. I need to listen and obey Him more. Because So I just got a text. Well, it's from Kirsten. Usually when Kirsten sends me a text, it's stop. It's time to be done. <laughs> no. But she says, in goodness, that which God wants instead of that which I want. Yeah. It's lordship. It's lordship. Because when Christ is my Lord, when I'm delighting myself in the Lord and he's giving to me the desires of my heart, he's making those desires grow within me, then what I want is what Christ wants. Yeah. And so if it's not good, if it's not working, what do I need? I need Jesus. I say, Lord, my life's not working. Well, okay, where is it not working? My marriage isn't good. It's not, it's, not producing what's, it's not producing what I want. It's not giving me satisfaction. It's not giving me joy. It's not there. It's like, okay, Lord, be Lord over my marriage. My job. My job's not doing what I want it to be. Okay, Lord, be Lord over my job. I give you my job. Be Lord over it. Be Lord over my body. Be Lord over my life. Be Lord over my emotions. Be Lord over me. Be Lord over my pocketbook. Lord, my, I have all these finances, but they're not giving me peace. Lord, I need you to be Lord over them because I need you to give me peace. 
Are you willing to make Christ Lord over all aspects of your life? Well, he died for me and I'm going to go to heaven when I die. Okay? Do you want to walk in goodness? He needs to be Lord over every aspect of your life. And that's a big call. Because then you have to die over your control of your job, of your marriage, of yourself. You have to die that you might live. Are you willing to die? You can follow the way of the world. It's not going to work. It doesn't work for them. It's not going to work for us. But if you follow Jesus, he will produce in you what the world's actually seeking. He will produce peace. He will produce joy. He will produce power over yourself. He might not give you power over the country. He'll give you power over yourself. This is what he does. That's self-control. So I'm not going to ask for an altar call. I don't usually do those. This sermon I actually could. But if there's a part of your life that's really frustrating you, you know what you do need to do? Here's what you need to do. Bring it to Jesus and ask him to become Lord over it. And that as he directs you through his word, walk in faith and in obedience to him in that area. Lord, my marriage isn't good. Well, are you honoring your husband? Are you loving your wife? Lord, my finances aren't good. Are you living, are you using, what are you using them for? Are you living in submission to Christ there? Are you willing to make Christ Lord over everything? The world won't get it. But Jesus will make it good. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I don't know what we need. I don't know where we need you to be Lord other than everywhere. Lord, and I pray that you would reveal to us the places in our lives that we are still trying to be Lord. That we might give them over to you. That we might surrender them to you. That we might make you Lord in those places too. Because you are good. And your burden is light. Lord, we thank you for that. Guide us. Lord, that we might walk in goodness. That we might walk with your spirit in every facet of our lives. Whatever that would be. Lord, that they might produce, that you might produce through them that which you want, which are the fruits of the Spirit and glory to your name. Lord, we thank you. May we glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen.